I'm Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 50th episode, I talked to Dave Will, co-founder of PropFuel, a platform that helps associations better engage with their members. Dave started off his career in the corporate world, working at PwC on systems integration of big corporate systems like Siebel and SAP. And the moments that changed everything for him were when his boss told him to walk faster and smile less when moving through the hallways, and when he got fired for lacking a sense of urgency. That's when he decided he didn't want to work for other people, and he started a small reseller business. From there, he rolled from the one thing in the other, and today he's focusing on building out prop fuel, pushing boundaries one step at a time while enjoying his journey. We talk about walking slow and smiling more, focusing on controlled growth instead of building a high-risk, high-growth business, why we both don't like the sitcom Silicon Valley and the importance of the little things. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi Dave, it's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Jeroen, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Yeah, you're a co-founder of, of PropFuel. Uh, for those who don't know yet, what do you guys do? Did you say I'm a cool founder or the co-founder? I, guess I, I said like co-founder, but maybe like my English was not, uh, was not. No, I like to think of myself as both. I am the cool <laughs> founder of of, Pro, of PropFuel and also the co-founder. Yeah. So oh, what okay. does PropFuel do? PropFuel is a what we refer to as it's a SaaS software. Of course, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. Uh, it, it's a conversational engagement platform, and so we're very very focused on member based organizations. And the mm-hmm. idea is we're trying to help them go from broadcasting stuff to their members, to engaging members in a conversation instead. And of course, cool. when you have 30,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 members of an association, for example, um, it's very, very difficult to have a conversation with that many. So the software allows the staff of this association to automate the process of engaging with them back and forth. Yeah, just to be a bit more concrete, what what sort of associations are we talking about? So there's uh, we've got 75 associations we're working with right now. They're associations anywhere from Air Force Association, which is a big one, to okay. to some smaller associations like uh, uh, Contemporary Ceramic Society of America. You know, so there's there's yeah. there's I'll t- there's the, uh, uh, the the Mushroom Growers Association. Uh, I mean, you name it. There's a Tipping Goats Association. There's an association for just about anything you can imagine. If there's a group of people interested in something, there's an association for it. So most of the associations that we're working with are, uh, um, uh, are either professional associations or trade associations. And so we just started working with associations, gosh, I want to say about a year and a half ago. And we, we realized we found this product market fit because just since COVID kind of came to a close, we're just seeing the skyrocketing every quarter is killing the mm-hmm. quarter. So anyway, yeah, th- those are the associations we're working with, professional and trade associations. Nice. And, and you, you say that it's, it's about engagement with members. It's about having a conversation sort of at scale. But when you, when you 
sell this to these associations? What are really the underlying issues they're having? What are they trying to solve? Well, they, they can't seem to, I have yet to meet an association that is satisfied with the level at which they're engaging their members. And so that raises the question, okay, so what does it mean to engage a member? What does an engaged member look like? An engaged member is a member that's doing stuff. You know, it's, it's really that simple. It's an engaged member is one that's reading things, participating, getting involved, maybe volunteering to be a part of something, going to events, whether they're virtual or in person. So an engaged member is a member that actually dedicates some mind to mind space to this organization, but also opens their wallet to the association. Yeah, okay. So it's it's not just a, a time investment uh, that an engaged member is is giving, but it's it's a financial investment too, and so associations uh, and and any business for that matter, associations really aren't much different from any other business. Uh, you want engaged customers, right? Uh, it, and it doesn't matter what you're selling; you want engaged customers, and that's what we're trying to do: is to help specifically. Our focus is on associations to help them get their customers, members doing stuff with them. And we do yeah, that yeah. through this process, super, super simple process, ask, capture, act. Everything we do starts with a question. And it, you know, so right now everything's over email, but SMS is a potential, bots on the websites are a potential. But uh, we ask a question, we capture input, and we take action on it. And what's so cool about that simple, simple process of ask, capture, act, is it mimics human behavior. So when, when you're walking down the street or, or uh, you're, you're walking your bike down your street because you're on cobblestones, right, in, in, in Brussels or in Bruges, and you're going over cobblestones with your bike, oh, I see a bike over your it's shoulder. Not, it's not that pre prehistoric here, but yeah. We do <laughs> still have cobblestones in some places, but that's mostly in historic centers. Yeah. Well, we, got, we got cobblestones in it. There's a whole whaling island here in the northeast of, of the U.S. called Nantucket. And uh, there's plenty of cobblestones there. So when you're when you're walking your bike or, or somewhere in a city, somebody might walk up mm -hmm. and you say, "Man, that's a beautiful bike. What, what kind of bike is that?" And that's what I asked you actually when we got in this bike. I say, hey, "What kind of bike is that?" And you're like, "Oh, it's a racing bike. It's a Matacumba, or I can't remember what you said." And mm -hmm. and uh, I'm like, "Oh, that's cool. I've got a bike like that too." So what what we're doing here is it's a conversation. It's an exchange. Right. But most conversations start with a question. I hear your input. I take action on it. That action may be a physical action. That action might be a verbal. It might be emotional. There's all kinds of actions that come out of me hearing what you just said. And so we're taking that human exchange. We're taking that process. We're putting it into a system and we're putting out there um, for people to scale so that they can actually have that exchange of 30, 50, yeah. 100,000 people. So it's, it sounds like associations, like they have been very one way, like not really. Like oh, yeah. They communicate towards their members, but their members don't communicate totally. back. And you want to make it a conversation again, right? Yeah, totally. They're talking at their members. That's what I like to say. You're talking at your members. And, and in fact, oftentimes we're guessing as to what it is members want and need. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, again, just when I say the word members, you can replace the word customer. We're guessing as to what our customers need. But if you start with a question, 
you're going to have a little more context to deliver a really relevant message. In fact, it turns it into a dialogue. Oftentimes, our clients are hearing like uh, from from their customers, their members. They're they're hearing, uh, "Oh my God, I had no idea there was actually a person behind this email." Yeah. A lot of people think it's like everything's automated through marketing automation and systems. And although it starts that way, what we're doing is allowing this exchange so that we know who to actually talk to, like a human. Mm-hmm. when to talk to them and what to talk to them about. So it's it's a really, really cool um, process. And what I love about entrepreneurship is is this idea of creation. You get to create these new things and push the boundaries to where people haven't gone before. Yeah, definitely. I, I love that part as well. It's, that's, that's personally what, make, what gets me up in the morning. Well, that, that creation process for you, where, where did that start? Where, where did you get the spark for PropFuel? Oh, I was fired from my job. No, not prop fuel. Actually, no, that's how I got the spark for entrepreneurship. That happened when I was 30. So I'm 50 right now. That happened when I was 30. I got fired from my job. And, you know, I was working for PricewaterhouseCoopers, doing systems integration, Siebel, SAP, you know, software. But I was always in software process work. I'm not a developer. I'm the guy that takes software and... Um, puts a business process around it. So I always did that. And then I got fired from my job and I realized that I really didn't enjoy working for people. And so I created some shitty little business um, reselling something back in 2001. And, uh, and, um, but the, the bug, you know what, here, here's the moment that I think changed everything for me. It's, I was working for SAP, big German enterprise ERP system. Right, and uh, I, was, I was working for the, one of the big U.S. offices for SAP, and my boss at the time, his name's Mark. Mark walked me out the door. He put his arm around me, and which you can't do anymore, but back then you could. So he put his arm around me, and he uh, he's like, you know, Dave, uh, I was an intern at the time. I was getting my business degree and uh, from MBA, and and he put his arm around me. He said, so Dave, um, great job this summer. I encourage you when uh, one piece of advice, I encourage you when you're walking through the halls to walk faster and smile less because (laughs) perception is reality. And uh, at the time, you're on, at the time I thought like that's phenomenal advice. Like this is really, really good advice because you don't have to be smart to do that. You don't have to be like really knowledgeable about something in particular. You don't have to have a long set of skills to walk faster and smile less. You just got to walk faster and smile less. Like super easy. Anybody can do that, right? I I couldn't do it. So needless to say, my next job, I got fired for lacking a sense of urgency. And I went on to, to, to build a business around the antithesis of that advice. So the first business I built was built around this idea, walk slow, smile more, which essentially just means enjoy the journey, right? So I, I just want to, win. who knows if I'm ever going to be a billionaire, you know, it'd be cool. Right. But I better enjoy the process in order to get there. Like, and if you don't enjoy the process for me, there's no point in just, just getting to that point. I, I want to really enjoy the journey and that's, that's, I've been enjoying the journey for the past 20 years. Yeah, I was actually smiling a lot while you were explaining that because the in my first corporate job and I was at a big pharma company. Um, yeah, my boss same gave thing. me a, 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 
a Big similar software. piece of advice. She she said, Irun, uh, you're doing very well and all, but the thing is, you have to act more like a product manager because you want to become a product manager. You need to act like one, and you cannot hang in doors anymore and stuff. And I was like, how is that relevant? I'm just comfortable here. <laughs> uh, and at the time, also, I, yeah. you know, it's it's sort of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense, and it makes sense within a corporate. Uh, but once you exit that and you you go into entrepreneurship, it just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, the day I got fired, though. It didn't feel like it didn't matter. You know, it it, it felt it was a big punch in the gut mm-hmm. when I got fired, and uh, and it, it was also you know there was a tech bubble and everything was blowing up and imploding, and it was a good time to get rid of people too. So I, I can't take all of the credit for getting fired. But uh, it still was a punch in the gut. You know, I remember calling my wife. I I took a ferry from Boston to the South Shore of Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember standing at the pier at 1030 in the morning, calling my wife on my Nokia phone, like, like, like uh, Keanu Reeves phone from the Matrix. If you, if you ever saw the Matrix, you know, I was sitting on there, my Nokia phone and uh, called my wife. And I remember the minute I heard her voice uh, and I heard my baby who's in college now, I heard my baby uh, cooing in her arms. She's sitting in the kitchen of our of our house that we had mortgaged uh, beyond our means in a fairly affluent area. Um, and I just immediately <laughs> broke into tears. You know, it was, uh, it was a very, very tough nut to swallow. You know, mm-hmm. it was a really, really hard thing to accept that I, this company didn't want me, but it was, I remember my brother telling me at the time, you know, Dave, one door closes, many more open. I just like, you know, can I swear in this podcast? You can. This is not an American podcast. No. Okay. I was like, fuck you, Ed. I don't want to hear that. Like that's, I just don't like, that's my reaction to many more open. Like, fuck you, many more open. I just lost my job. No idea how I'm going to pay my mortgage, let alone put food on the table. So, uh, needless to say, he was right. And, um, the next 20 years have been such a fun journey. Not always not like every day you wake up and it's awesome every day there's still really really hard periods and days that you feel like you got hit by a truck but man generally speaking the stimulation the ability you're going to be who you are to hang in doors when you want to hang in a door whatever that means i don't even know what that means but i want to do it and i want to <laughs> smile and i want to walk slow and if i want to go outside and walk around my pool for a little bit while i'm on the phone i want to be able to do that and it's the freedom and not to mention not just the the freedom but the potential to earn a shit ton of money too not all entrepreneurs make a lot of money but many do yeah that, that's a, something to understand of course entrepreneurship I don't even know what your question make you, make you rich or um, it, uh, yeah. but it, but it's fun. That's, yeah. that's, and that's the most important thing because if you don't enjoy the journey, then it will also never make you rich, I think, because you'll give up somewhere along the way towards, towards that money that you're trying to go after, which is not exactly the point. Well, that's the true with any, anything I think is if you, if you really don't enjoy the journey, you're dependent on willpower. 
Yeah. Right. Like think that's why people suck at diets and losing weight because it's not enjoyable to not eat the cake. It's not enjoyable to eat less. And so you've got to somehow, if you're going to be successful at losing weight, it's either willpower, which rarely works for a period of time, or you've got to find enjoyment in eating and cooking vegetables in a way that they're tasty, you know? And so that's why I think you find the people that are successful in fitness and, and, and losing weight, they're the ones that have found joy in riding or running in, in exercise and in eating well. They're the ones that find that joy. But if you don't find the joy in the stuff you're doing, you're never going to succeed at it. That's my philosophy. You that might for so the true. short term, you might, so you might for a few weeks or a few months, but it's not going to last. No, no, that's, 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 that's totally true. Actually, I, I recently changed to a, a whole foods plant-based diet as well, like this year in January. And uh, I really enjoy it. And I, I don't feel like there's any real reason to go back. I never had to diet, uh, thank God. Uh, also, you know, it's... Uh, Tell me, what, is, what is that? What is a whole foods diet? Oh, it's basically eating whole foods that are not processed um, and plant-based. They cut down on all the the meat and the eggs and the milk and all this kind of stuff. You cut down or eliminated it? Well, I mostly eliminated it, but my wife uh, still wants to eat it now and then. So I'm not, um, let's say, uh, extreme about it. So it's fine to still sometimes eat it. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's really nice as well. It gives you some extra energy, um, which is uh, very handy when you're uh, when you're trying to build a business. So. Well, I think um, just enjoying what you're doing gives you extra energy. And again, I want to emphasize this: when it always drives me nuts when people say, "Oh my God, I love what I do. I wake up every day with a smile on my face." <laughs> Cause that's bullshit. Like there's days, you know, there was the day I, I, in my last company also, it, it evolved into a SaaS software company as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the day I got the phone call from my lead developer that we had been hacked. Um, uh, and that was not fun. That was not a day that I enjoyed. That was the day I actually thought the business was going to go down in flames, but, um, mm-hmm. You know, so there, there's shit that happens, and um, but there's a lot of really good stuff too. What are, what are some of the the coolest stuff you've been able to do while running all these businesses? Oh man, oh that's a great question, and and this might be a long answer, so I'll I'll just at some point have to cut it off. One of the things I th- I really enjoy the most, I think, it's it's funny. I really enjoy building a place where people can grow personally and professionally. Um, and I put this under the umbrella of culture, right? Like I really, mm-hmm. I want to build a, a company where, and, and I think I did a good job. My last company, this one, we're still pretty darn small. We're in startup mode, but I want to build this, this company where people just, um, they, they, they never want to leave. I don't mean they don't want to go home and sleep. I mean, like, no matter what they were offered from a competitor or from another company, they're not going to leave because they really like what they're doing and where they're doing it. And they feel passion for it and excitement around coming into work. So that's that's the thing that I, I enjoy. I really liked seeing the passion and the smiles and the friendships and the marriages 
that came out of my last company. Another thing I really like is what we already talked about, which is being able to push the boundaries on what the market is used to doing. So, so looking at what the market is doing and figuring out where is there a gap, where is there something that needs to get better. And of course, we're all in these little niches. So we're, we're laser focused on a very small piece of the market, but there's always enough. And the, the more focus you get, the more opportunity you can see to improve. And so that's another thing I, I love. And then of course, gosh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say I love winning, <laughs> right? Like I really, really like to win. I'm super competitive. And so by winning, I mean winning new business. I love uh, building a company to the point where, yes, you can sell it. That's, a, that's like the ultimate win for an entrepreneur, right, is, is successfully selling a business. And, and so and what I love about selling is it, for the first time, quantifies the value you've created, you know, like until that point, you're like, yeah, I create a lot of value. And like we sell our product for X dollars and uh, people are paying X amount for it. And we got X number of customers and, you know, there's valuation or, or maybe we raised money, um, oh, which is a major pain in the ass, by the way, raising money. Have you ever raised money before? Uh, we have raised money from angels, but not so much from um, institutional uh, money. Same so. thing, man. It is, I think that is a brutal process. I'm going through it right now and it's just like it way, way more brutal than I thought it would be. <laughs> what, what do you think is so brutal here. about it? Oh my God. So, so I'll, here's the thing that I think is the most interesting. So we've put this deck together and changed it a million times. Mm -hmm. The process of putting the deck together is, is that alone is really valuable because it, it helps you really understand who you are and where you are in the market. Like even if you never show it to anybody, it's an amazing process. Did you did you have that experience too? Yeah, yeah. We man, the, 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 actually the first thing we did when uh, creating the company was creating a deck. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, right. A, sh a short story. We figured like, okay, we're gonna do this thing. There's a whole lot of potential, but we need to be able to create time for it because creating such a system is not going to happen like over like we won't create this in a week or something. We need actual time. Yeah. Um, so we saw this thing uh, online from Kima Ventures, which was called Kima 15. And they, they said in 15 days, we'll come back to you. You can get 150K for 15% of your company. You just need to send us a deck. You need to follow this book and stuff. So the first thing we did was create a deck. That, that was me. Uh, and then my co-founder created a prototype. And then obviously we sent that in and they said, you're a bit too early stage. <laughs> but uh, We'd like yeah. a customer. Yeah. Yeah, we had we had nothing. Like we had a yeah. prototype. We was just you, you just click on stuff, and that was it. Like it that didn't do anything, and then and then a deck, uh, but there was nothing else behind it. Yeah. So they were like, eh. so the the exercise of creating the deck, I think, is really really valuable. And if you're familiar with uh, EOS traction and uh, uh, entrepreneurial operating system or, or Vern Harnish and scaling up. If you're familiar with any of these processes, the strategic planning processes, that's essentially what you're doing. You're creating this vision mm -hmm. and you're documenting it. And that's what the deck does. But th that's not the hard part. Although it was hard to create this deck, that's not the hard part. The part that, that I find the most challenging is, you know, you go out to 30, 50, 100 
investors over time. You know, you're constantly knocking on doors, friends and family, angels, depending on what stage you're at, some VCs. Um, and I would say uh, just round numbers, half of them are actually interested in learning about the business. They're asking you questions about the business. They want to understand the business. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know, I think that's when you know a true investor. Then the other half wants to critique your pitch and your tech. <laughs> and they're like, you know, uh, do you want some feedback? And of course, there's only one answer to that. Of course you want the feedback. And, and in the beginning, you really do. Like in, in the first 10 or 15, yeah, you really want the feedback. But it gets to a point where the feedback here, and this is the part that I think is really hard. The feedback you get is uh, there's some consistency and so you make those changes and then all the feedback is just conflicting feedback. Like some people think that you should do X and, and then other people think you should do um, Y. And, and it's like they're totally – so you're constantly getting this feedback and pretending to take notes and write it all down and you're going to make changes. And then ultimately you got to get to that question. Okay, so thanks for the feedback, but are you interested like, are you interested in actually, like, do you have any questions about the business? Forget about the deck. So I think that's a really hard part is, is um, uh, going through this process over and over and over and over and over again, getting a vast number of no's because you're simply not a fit, which totally rational. It doesn't mean you're not a good business. It just means you're not mm-hmm. a fit for the kind of investments that they do. Um, that's hard, man. Really hard. And, and then you get all the terms and everybody wants different terms. Like some people want a board seat. Some people want equity. Some people uh, don't care if it's equity or convertible note. So like there's, there's this, um, yeah, it's hard. Oh, let's not forget about the time involved, right? Forget about CEOing or forget about working with clients because the vast majority of your job right now is 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 pitching and raising. That's what your job becomes. Forget about hiring people. So if you got to do those other things, that's going to be after hours. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. hard. I do I do not look forward to the next time we're raising money. Yeah, I think I think we were actually quite lucky with it. Like um, I, I I got some contacts through people I knew, uh, other startups, which is a really great way of finding uh, good business angels. Um, and then a few I, I knew already through other people. And then uh, we basically, we made a convertible note with standard terms and uh, it was that or, or nothing. Was it a uh, safe or was it a, your own convertible note? It was, it was our own convertible note. Yeah. And, um, and then all the, it, it even said in the terms, like all the angels uh, signed the same thing. So as soon as the, the first one signed, uh, there was no discussion possible anymore with the others because all of them signed the same things, right? Yeah. So, uh, so that saved us uh, an enormous amount of time. Awesome. So definitely good. recommend that to everyone. But you, of course, need to check whether these terms are uh, good in all circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's it is a sales process and it's brutal. But I think it, this extends to entrepreneurship in general, right? If if you're really in it to succeed then you need to be able to take this feedback from, uh, from investors, uh, but also from customers. Like I remember customer interviews uh, being, being extremely brutal. And it even, um, there was so much feedback 
in so many different directions yeah. that we didn't know at the time very well how to, uh, how to condense it. Uh, so we went through this very fuzzy period when we did the customer interviews because all of a sudden, you know, there was, there was so much that people said and it went in, in all these directions and it, it, everything became this really fuzzy cloud uh, until we brought it back to the essence. Like we figured like, okay, why did we start this? Um, and then sort of took the feedback as a secondary thing. Um, yeah, you gotta, I think it's, when, when it comes to feedback, the natural inclination is to make yourself completely open to all feedback, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that's good to be open to all feedback. The trick is then in how you process it. And what I've learned from my partner, so I tend to be, the, I'm client facing. My partner is, is product facing. Like he works, he works on our platform. I work with the clients. When I go to him and say, hey, look, there's, there's, here's a couple things I just heard today that might be cool features for the platform. His reaction, generally speaking, is no, right? Because I think he says no more often than yes. The problem with this, especially with software, which I'm sure you know, are you more a developer or more the process guy? Like I'm more on the, on the customer side. Okay. So, so you're probably like me where you're hearing a lot of the things people want, but I, I think a good developer or CTO will mm -hmm. say good to know. And I need to put that into, uh, uh, into perspective as to where we're taking the platform. Because if you start throwing all these bells and whistles and features into it, it just becomes this ugly pile of bells and whistles and features as opposed to keeping this really simple approach to completing a task. And so that's what I think we've done really well, thanks to my partner, is something we hear from a lot of people is, man, this is just so easy. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be easy if we said yes to every single thing people wanted. And so it's a really hard thing to do, but you got to know when to say no. And usually... Well, I don't want to say usually. There's a lot of no's when it comes to bells and whistles. Yeah. Yeah, what we do, I think, and that's the easiest way of keeping it under control is you just add it to a list. And we tell people, like, thanks for the feedback. We've noted it. Oh, we've it's really there. done. Yeah. It's on a list. Uh, we group things by issue. Like, uh, people are trying to fix this issue. They're trying to fix this issue. They're trying to fix this issue. And then we, we just say, okay, this person also asked for it and this person also asked for it with their specific way of asking and what's behind it and stuff. And it just, it sits there, but you very quickly can see what's recurring and why. And then you go, yeah. go analyze further, ask these people some more questions and then actually work on it. And that's, to your point, the only way of keeping a system easy. Uh, I think, like, for instance, if you take a, a company like SAP, uh, the way they've started dealing with it is, is they've, they've built a system where everybody can build whatever they like, as long as you get SAP consultants to do it for you. Uh, but then there's also lots of other software companies where it completely went wrong because, you know, sales had the, uh, like, like was leading the process and was always telling development, make this, make this, make this, make this. And it, at some point it becomes a total mess. Mm -hmm. And, nobody really has the overview of what needs to be built. And then 
yeah, in most cases, software companies start imploding. I read this. Um, oh, j- just to take that thought a little bit further. Uh, I like the idea. You put these things on what you're hearing. You put them into a list, right? I, for me, I just pass it on to my partner. What the way he works is he organizes things into a list and he structures them based on certain categories. Mm-hmm. And then, as he, he doesn't work on features as much as he works on these categories. And so, what he'll do is he'll redesign an element of the platform in a way so that he's adding and removing and rebuilding all at the same time to release a a more sophisticated version of that component of the platform being very vague here. But the point is rather than just fixing and adding one thing, he's improving the process completely. And and these categories, are they like jobs, jobs to be done? If you know the framework, is it that direction or I'll give you an example that I, our platform, like a lot of, um, marketing automation type things. Uh, we have campaigns that go out, mm-hmm. you know, these questions that we send out that they go out in the form of a campaign. And so we have this campaign manager, this, this way of creating campaigns. So instead of just adding a feature, removing a feature at some point, and he's doing some of that, but at some point he's just going to rebuild the campaign manager to bring it back to simplicity get rid of this, these outliers, anything that's kind of become lumpy and ugly, he's going to smooth it all out by rebuilding the campaign manager. So that's what I mean by that. Yeah. So there's a great book, by the way, that I just read called The Mom Test. I can't remember who wrote mm-hmm. it, but if you Google The Mom Test, you'll find it. But that's a, have you heard of this? I've heard of it too. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's basically how to get customer feedback, primarily at the startup stage, at the uh, before you even have a product. Like how do you or maybe right in the, in the beta version, but how do you, how do you get feedback <laughs> without like um, forcing people into giving you positive feedback that is not really helpful or accurate? So the mm-hmm. mom test, I thought that was a really nicely done book. Yeah, yeah true. It's, 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 it's super essential like to get good feedback that is constructive and then you can do something with where you also understand what's behind it. That's a, a bit of the core of getting good feedback, I think. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so you're raising money now. Uh, that's angel money, right? Is this is this with the intention of raising VC money in the long run, or uh, it, it, to be determined? We're not. I don't think we're going angel. I think we're we're going to stick with friends and family. What I've found is. Um, the, you, you ha- I think VCs and even angels are interested in businesses that have this um, unicorn vision. And we actually, contrary to popular, um, the popular way of building a company, we're kind of focused on a very particular niche and we want to nail this niche. That's it. We just want to nail this niche. As we're heading down that path, we will then make the decision as to what does it look like in another five years. We're not going to be a unicorn in five years. And that's not what a VC or even an angel wants to hear. Sure. They want to hear that you, you really have every intent of turning this into a unicorn. And so uh, for that reason, we're focusing on friends and family right now. It's a smaller raise. We're raising a million, not not five or ten. We're mm-hmm. raising a million. Um, which is a really awkward number to raise, actually, because a lot of friends and family is a little less than that. 
but VCs don't want to get involved for that small. So anyway, we're raising a million and um, that's, it's all, I describe it almost like taking a five hour energy shot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like shooting a five hour energy for the business. That's what it is. It's, it's a way of helping us ramp up sales and marketing and client support a little bit faster and better than we would if we were grassroots. Um, it, yeah. it also doesn't sound like, like VC money would be a fit to, to what you were saying earlier that you really enjoy growing a team and making it a company where people don't want to leave and all. That yeah. doesn't sound like a VC backed company, it's, right? It's, 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 I refer to it as controlled growth. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's not quite a lifestyle business, but it's also not a high risk, high growth business. You know, there's very, it's highly unlikely at this point, we're going anywhere. We're not going to disappear. That's highly unlikely. You can't say that with most VC funded businesses, mm-hmm. there's still a good probability they're going to dissolve. So they're going for the, they're going for the moon, right? We're going for the atmosphere. <laughs> and and I'm not embarrassed to say that. Like I, I think there's a lot of really cool businesses. Now, once we hit the atmosphere or we're halfway up there, we may make the decision, you know what? The moon's not too far away. Maybe we should make it make a make a jump for it. You and it's to, it won't be too late. You need escape velocity at that point, then it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> to say it with a with a read by escape uh, velocity at that point. What's that? To say it with a Reed Hoffman quote, he, he he's he's always uh, pushing startups to go to the moon, like the the former uh, LinkedIn founder who has yeah, podcast masses at scale. If you I listen to his podcast, all all of what you need to do is raise VC money and escape yeah. velocity and whatever. You know, I get that. I, I get that. That's why I say it's we're contrary to popular uh, uh, philosophy. It's I think there's a lot of businesses going out there that you know they haven't even gotten a customer yet but they're telling you how they're going to be a, a billion dollar business mm-hmm. cool i i just I, to be honest my philosophy my approach is a little bit different um and it's it's a lot of other entrepreneurs don't subscribe to this and and they they think i'm doing it wrong and that's okay that's fine i but my approach is to focus on doing something really really right for a niche and then we can take it from there that's what i'm focused on yeah, you, you were just saying that you consider uh, PropFuel to be quite stable right now. But when you think about what what keeps you up at night lately, what what is it, the first thing that pops to mind? Uh, usually, it's pretty granular. It's like that next that next prospect, and I tend to be so competitive. I'm focused on the next prospect, the next prospect. But that, that's usually the stuff that it, it, it's usually the stuff in the weeds that keeps me up at night. Like it's the thing I was working on last that, that keeps me, um, that keeps me annoyed, but that's literally keeps me up at night. I think what you're asking is different. I think what you're asking maybe is what are the, the longer term, um, issues in the industry that you're, that you're seeing uh, now? I'm, no? Both, yeah. both. I'm interested in both. I mean, it, oh, it's the little, like shit, it's the little shit that keeps me up to be honest. Yeah. It's so that, little, that means really that you enjoy the journey, right? So. Yeah, <laughs> it's it. It really is. It's the little stuff. It, it's the squabble I got in with my partner, or or uh, or it's the it's the um, it's the client that had a bad experience today. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things that keep me up. Those are the things I dwell on, and um, uh, the bigger things, I. I, I we have a process for 
for managing the bigger things. We do have a big vision of where we're going. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but we take that with a grain of salt. We understand that the vision changes over time. So that doesn't really keep me up. Want to change a vision? Fucking change a vision. It's easy. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's the stuff in the weeds that keeps me up, you know? And so I, I, uh, for a long time, long time. So I, I mentioned I'm 50. That's not old, but it's, it's certainly, I'm not a spring chicken, you know? So we, we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, in my, the first 30 or 40 years, I did what I was supposed to do in business, in my career. I thought what I was supposed to think. So mm -hmm. if I were to equate that to what I'm doing now, yeah, Reed Hoffman says you got to shoot for the moon. So I better fucking shoot for the moon. I'm not going to do it because Reed Hoffman, that's good for you, Reed Hoffman. That's why you're a billionaire. Like that's awesome for you, <laughs> but that's, that's, you know, if I try to do what Reed Hoffman does, I'm going to fail. I don't know. I might, I may not, but I'm much more likely to succeed if I do the things that I envisioning doing. And so I have to stay true to my philosophy. I have to stay true to, to the things I believe in and the things that I'm doing. And I'll learn from my own mistakes, but that's the way I'm going to be the best, best version of me. And, uh, and so along those lines, I'm not shooting for the moon, man. I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to focus on doing a really good job for the clients that we're focused on right now. And along the way, I'm going to make adjustments to get to the next tier. And then more adjustments to get to the next tier. And so then anyway, that's, yeah, that's my philosophy. Yeah. Great respect for Reed Hoffman, by the way. I also have a lot of respect for Reed Hoffman, but I, <laughs> I also don't agree with his way of thinking. But I mean, it, it works for a very, very small subset of companies, yeah. but it's like he wants to uh, promote it to everyone, which doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. You know, another one that, uh, here's another place where I go against the stream a little bit. And also I'm a Gen Xer. Mm -hmm. um, nobody remembers the Gen Xers. Like there, there's the, uh, there's, there's the uh, boomers, right? Everybody likes to make fun of the boomers now, but then, then, then you go right to the millennials, but there's us too. Like, don't forget about us. We're the Gen Xers and the Gen Xers, uh, the millennials uh, in theory, if you, if you buy into all this generation stuff, right? The millennials are want to change the world. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm going against the stream a little bit on this. I like to change things, but I'm not, um, I'm not going to take that big a bite in changing the world. I'm going to focus, which is not a popular comment. Like everybody wants everybody to change the world. My focus is on changing the environment that I'm, I'm closest to. Mm -hmm. So I'm working with associations and I'm going to change something for the better in our little space in the association world right now, and then maybe into nonprofits and then maybe into member-based organizations. So, so like we're going to make some change into things that are closest to us, but I'm not, there's a lot of things that need fixing in the world and I'm not focused on all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I can get that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the fault of the boomers again. They have been teaching us millennials <laughs> that, you know, everything is going well and you need to shoot for the moon and change the world. Yeah. We live with that, but I think many of us are growing up and are, are, are starting to think like you. Yeah, it's just a pendulum, right? Like yeah. 10 years ago, everybody wanted to change the world. In fact, you, have you ever watched Silicon Valley, the, the HBO 
sitcom. a part of it. it. It made me sick after some point. It's a it's an unpopular opinion, but I I just thought it was such a. It made me like I don't know. It's annoying. It creeps. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I loved it, but it, so so the um. Uh, uh, the, I forgot where I was going with this. But, oh, in Silicon Valley, they 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 did this the 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 classic pitch, which was like a Y Combinator sort of mm-hmm. thing. And everybody started off with making the world a better place. You know, like that was 10, 15 years ago. Everybody wanted to make the world a better place. Now I think we're kind of the pendulum is swinging back a little bit to where we're acknowledging that maybe the perspective I have is becoming a little more popular, which is like, we may not be changing the world, but I'm going to change my little space inside of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, I think certainly a, a specific group, and then there's also the group that that has like the Elon Musk vision. Oh my like gosh, this guy is changing universe. the world. I'm I'm actually going to be myself on the TV program. Um, like it's recording in a month, and literally the the tagline is called the social movement, and it, the tagline is four days to change the world. <laughs> That's awesome! <laughs> awesome! I love it. I really do. It's just not me. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'm going to watch that show and I'm going to subscribe to it. I'm going to push my kids to be uh, world changing up entrepreneurs. Uh, it for me, I'm I'm going to focus on my space though. Sounds good. Uh, going going quickly into uh, because we don't have a lot of time anymore uh, into learnings. Uh, what what is the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it? Oh, geez, the one I just finished for obvious reasons is. Um, uh, the the secrets of Sandhill Road, which I basically I, I needed a, a rush education on raising money. But um, uh, let's see what else is in my list here. Oh gosh, I love Guy Raz, How I Built This. And so I I I I, I listened to books on Audible, but I, I read that one. And um, that's a podcast, no? It is a podcast, but he wrote a book out of it too. Oh, and okay. to be honest, uh, if you listen to the podcast, you don't need the book. The book is just a summary of all the podcasts. Uh, I, the book measure what matters, uh, by John Doerr. I, I, I enjoyed the philosophy, but, uh, it was just too long and too detailed for me. I, I got what I needed out of it in the first, first chapter, but that was an interesting book. And then the, the other book on my list is the, uh, sales acceleration formula. So I'm undetermined in that one, but those are a bunch of books. I'm, I'm into, I, I mentioned the mom test. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm always trying to consume as much as I can in terms of in terms of the um, the books, and then of course I listen to a ton of podcasts. You, you've got a great podcast. My podcast is EO360 Entrepreneurs Organization 360. A little plug for that. Um, Saster has some really good podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, man, that's. That's what, and then, but how I built this, Tim Ferriss. Who doesn't like Tim Ferriss? Right? Tim Ferriss. Yeah, I just read his book, uh, which is also sort of a summary of his podcast, yeah. Tools of Titans, which was really yeah. nice. Yeah. No, uh, you gave us a, a ton of good advice. Is there any last piece of advice you want to give uh, to the listeners uh, that you think you should really uh, hear about? Or yeah, I I don't know, man. I think. Um, it, it took me too long to learn. And this is just, I'm iterating something that I've, I've tried to focus on here. Mm-hmm. I waited too long to learn that um, you're going, I, I don't want to tell you what you're going to do, but I, it took me a while to learn that I, I was going to thrive 
if I allowed myself to um, uh, to do things my own way, as opposed to doing the way doing things the way my parents thought would be best for me when I was younger, or the way the industry suggests, or academics think it's you're supposed to do it, or your peers think you're supposed to do it, and that's that's why I, I talk about things like you know shooting to the moon and and everybody trying to change the world and stuff like that's mm-hmm. cool, but is that is that you speaking or is that somebody else planting seeds? Because the trick is to figure out what is it you really believe in? And what is it how, like in my philosophy, walk slow, smile more. Once I embraced that, that's when I started to thrive because I finally accepted that, hey, it's okay not to walk fast and smile less. It's okay. So anyway, that's that's my philosophy is is if you can really, really get comfortable enough with yourself so that you help yourself make decisions instead of turning to your peers and other people for what you should be doing, that's when you're really, really going to thrive. And when I say you, I mean me. Like that, That's just what I've learned about myself, honestly. I don't know if that's true for everyone. That's what I've learned about myself. I, I do appreciate the advice. I think it's a very hard thing to do, but definitely something, uh, something important. It to is be hard. True to yourself. I don't know how you learned that. I just kind of fumbled across it over the years. Jeroen, thanks so much for having me. This has been really, really fun to talk through this stuff. It's nice to have have a peer that loves the same things, you know? Yeah, thank you for being on Founder Coffee. It was really great to have you as well. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys. 